welcome to Coffee with the Chief, the Trulio podcast. At Trulio, our mission is to improve trust in the police through body camera analytics. On this podcast, we talk with our team and some of the best police chiefs working today about how that mission can be realized. In this episode, Tejas and I talk about why trust in the police is low, how we can address that issue, and what the future of our product looks like. Hey, Anthony. So let's pretend I'm venture capital and I'm asking you, you know, what is the problem that Trulio aims to solve? How would you respond to that? At a super high level, the main problem we solve is that trust in the police is low. That's where the name Trulio came from. It's, it's really just a mashup of trust and LEO. And LEO is the acronym for law enforcement officer. And so, uh, you know, why the question is like, why is trust in the police low? Well, it doesn't need to be. Uh, it's it's low because what you see of police is what's captured by cell phone video. And it's usually the worst of the worst police actions being captured by cell phone video. And then that's the story of the department. Another problem we solve is that cities spend a lot of money on body cameras, and yet they don't improve policing or accountability. And all of this data is sort of just sitting in the cloud. No one's going to watch any of those videos unless there's no extra use of force or a civilian complaint. So what Trulio does is convert all of that data into an asset rather than chiefs and mayors thinking of it like a liability. We convert that data into a set of insights that will tell us about what events took place, such as a use of force. Was there any noncompliance? Was there frisking? Was there a pursuit? Was anybody arrested? Things, those are the types of events. But we also analyze officer and civilian language. And we score that language as either being standard professional, which is language that doesn't contain any risk, or was it risky, which is profanity, insults, and threats, or was that officer highly professional? And this is what's really exciting is that a highly professional officer is going to give a lot of explanation and they're going to be polite. And the reason why that's important is because we've back-tested thousands of positive interactions, even interactions that began with noncompliance but didn't end in a use of force or an arrest. And what we see is there's a cluster of common language that is indicative of that positive outcome. And that is politeness and giving explanation. And I can't stress this enough for officers that giving explanation is the number one thing they can do to lower their noncompliance rates. And I'm, what I mean is really over-communicate the why that you want a civilian to do something. Right now, a problem we have in policing is that we've got 60% or so of a department will have three years or less on. So super young kids, 26, 25-year-old police officers, and they're taught to give commands. And in today's day and age, that's not going to work. You really need to explain why you are asking somebody to do something. And if they don't comply, then I'm all for detaining that person or arresting that person if they're not going to comply with an officer's commands. But the officer's got to go out of their way to give a lot of explanation to try to prevent an escalation from occurring. Some other problems that we solve are police morale is low, police recruiting retention is in the gutter. And the reason for this is because the job doesn't appear to be honorable. If you look at social media and you look at police videos, you're going to see the worst of the worst. You're not going to see or know the fact that 99% of these guys' interactions are professional. And so the problem that we solve is that by looking at the body camera data, we can surface that. We can create the baseball card stats for cops, and we can tell you that, hey, this officer gets it right 99% of the time. And we can celebrate that. We can reward that officer with an email 
That's what Trulio does. We send out automated emails to sergeants and the patrol officers, commending them for, hey, you did a great job yesterday. That was a great interaction and you were highly professional, sort of a virtual attaboy. And that goes a long way to improving officer morale, which I think is ultimately going to impact officer recruiting and retention as well. And so all of this data is super valuable. It's an asset for training, especially young officers. It's an asset for surfacing your best officers. And for the one or 2% of interactions where officer uses profanity, insults, or threats, it's an opportunity to retrain that officer. A lot of times I see, and we'll talk to various officers and they go, yeah, you know, I say, get on the effing ground. I say, show me your effing hands. What's interesting is that, for example, the FBI doesn't do that. The FBI just says hands, hands, hands. And so what we learned in this data is that using profanity, it's ineffective. It's a really bad habit because an officer can have a good use of force, but the optics of using that unprofessional language are horrible. A judge, a jury, somebody's going to look at that and say that officer is angry, that officer is emotional, that officer is out of control. There's really no good reason for an officer to use any unprofessional language ever. It's not effective. It doesn't work. And so by unlocking all your body camera data, what you're doing is you're really giving the mayors and the command staff the ability to tell the department's story. What is our story? Are we 90% professional and 10% are not? We need to work on that. Whatever the facts are, that's what Trulio is going to surface. That's why our slogan is truth builds trust, because our vision is that this data needs to get converted into searchable assets for training. It needs to be exposed to the public. The community should be aware of how professional their organization is. I really think that's going to go a long way to improving police trust. And ultimately, we're going to have safer officers and safer communities. So thinking from the perspective of an investor who you know, maybe has heard about body cameras before, but is new to the field of body camera analytics, you know, tell me a little bit about why body cameras themselves haven't yet solved this problem of trust in the police. Well. So body camera providers, they're, they're hardware providers. They, they manufacture and sell hardware. And it's very difficult historically for hardware companies to transition into you know, SaaS-based companies. And so this has been you know, the mandate of these companies. They're trying to push cameras. They want to capture data, but they don't necessarily have the tools or the services to offer to analyze any of that data. And also remember, body cameras are relatively new. They showed up on the scene in 2012. They sort of went mainstream in, I would say, 2015, 2016, and then they've just exploded since George Floyd's murder in 2020. I think it's about 70% of the U.S. has body cameras, and I think that number will be closer to 95% in the next five years. So body cameras, they capture a lot of data. Each officer, on average, has about 8 to 12 interactions per shift. It's about 250 hours per year per officer. And when you get to you know, a typical department of 100 officers, you're talking about a lot of data that's generated every single day. And the sergeant does not have time to go and watch all these videos. And so it's not possible for a body camera provider to offer a solution to these departments to do any type of precision guided review. And instead, the body camera providers offer you know, the ability to click and watch a random review. And that's not solving the problem. You don't know what you're going to get in that process. Is it a one-minute video? Is it a one-hour video? What value does a random review provide to the sergeant or to the patrol officer for training purposes? It's, it's virtually none. And so what these departments are then forced to do is they just review videos where there's a civilian complaint or there's an officer use of force, and they totally lose the opportunity to 
convert that data into an asset for training purposes. So Anthony, talk to me a little bit about what your vision is for the milestones that Trulio is going to have to hit over the next 12 or 18 months to be very successful. So the, the commercial milestones are essentially, you know, number one, it's about happy customers, client references. It's about taking really good care of our current customers so that they produce um, testimonials, that they're references for future customers. They provide case studies. They allow academics to go in there and measure the impact or the change in behavior once body camera analytics are, are implemented. I'm really excited about developing deeper relationships with our camera providers and implementing more sophisticated distribution strategies. I think that you know, these departments, they have cameras, that data is in the cloud. It really would just take a few switches to get switched in order for our services to flow directly from those camera providers. But those are the things that I'm looking forward to this year um, that, are not, that are just mainly commercial related. One other thing I wanted to mention, and this is sort of um, in its infancy, but the sort of vision that you and I have, Tejas, is to incentivize businesses to get involved in promoting good quality policing. You and I are from Wall Street. We've had a lot of conversations with Wells Fargo and Bank of America and these various banks, as well as other businesses like Target and Starbucks. These are businesses that are passionate about good quality policing because it's good business. They want their communities safe. They want them relatively crime-free and they want trust in the police to go higher. And so one of the strategies that we have at Trulio is to create a mechanism in which a business can pledge a certain amount of resources or you know, something to the community based on how much highly professional interactions the department achieves that year. For example, let's say that one of our departments in the Bay Area is able to achieve, I don't know, 500 highly professional interactions this year. Maybe Starbucks should build a park in that neighborhood. And I think this is the key to really widespread adoption of Trulio. It's incentivize businesses to fund good quality policing. And I really think there's unlimited demand to fund good quality policing. And I'm really excited to build out this strategy of community impact this year in 2023. So let's take a moment here to just tell folks listening a little bit about our origin story. You know, where did sort of the mission and, and the inspiration behind Trulio come from your perspective? I think one day, this is right after George Floyd's murdered and there's and the whole country is, you know, up in protests and cities are burning. People are really angry. And it's interesting. I mean, we talked about you and I being yin and yang. You're this Indian kid from an all-white neighborhood. And I remember you telling me your parents taught you to not trust the police. And here I am. I'm this white kid from the south side of Chicago. My family's police and FBI. And, uh, and I trust the police. And I remember we had a discussion and a debate on this. And I realized that you know, policing depends on your background and your perspective, and it's not the same for everybody. We all bring our biases into it. And you and I discussed, why is this even a debate? We have the data. It's on the cameras. And why doesn't anybody analyze this, this camera data? And, I, and it's interesting, Tejas, because you and I, I don't know if there's other people on planet Earth that have the NLP expertise that we have. We've been doing this a long time. Wall Street's been transcribing and analyzing their phone calls for a long time. And you know, like helping Goldman Sachs make money, it's not great. It's not a fulfilling you know, job. It's not something we're proud of, right? And so I was burnt out of Wall Street. One of the things I dislike the most about it is you work so hard to do a good job for you know, Bank of America, but it's a proprietary edge for them. 
You know, everything is about making more money for them. And so they're not going to call JP Morgan and tell them what we just did for them. And what attracted us to policing is like the viral coefficient, the fact that these guys all talk, all these chiefs talk, it's a very close knit community. And if you do a good job for one, he'll tell 10 others. And so I like that type of business. I like being able to compete with other businesses based on the quality of our product and the quality of our service. And so I was just really attracted to this problem. I thought it was a very solvable problem. I think some things to be solved by brute force, meaning if you come across a chief who's just not an early adopter or a champion, you know, just drive him to a no as quickly as possible and wait for his replacement in a year or two. That's the reality is that police departments are full of these guys that just want to get their pensions and get the hell out of the profession. They don't care what's on those videos. And so that's a little bit disappointing, but the industry in this space, I think is super exciting. It's really easy to recruit when you are in a space with such a social impact, such as Trulio has. I think people really gravitate to our culture and to our mission. And I, I really like that that's a recruiting edge. You, you know, Tay, just like trying to hire people in the green key. You know, people are skeptical of Wall Street and they're just not real passionate about helping banks make more money. Yeah, it's certainly, it, it becomes more about the technology. We were using cool technology, which, which definitely attracted a lot of people, but it's a totally different ballgame when your mission is just aligned with something that is for the greater good. Every officer I've spoken to, it doesn't matter if it's a patrol officer or command staff, they don't want bad police in their department. They don't. They don't know how to get rid of them. And that's a discussion for another time. You know, it's very difficult to get rid of a bad police officer. But the vast majority of these guys, they're doing their best with what they got. They're overworked. They're tired. They're stressed out. I felt that it was a space that, although I'm not law enforcement, I felt that I could quickly figure it out and figure out the language and figure out their problems and quickly try to build trust because ultimately like body camera analytics, it's good for policing. It's going to be a thing that solves the recruiting retention problem for them. It's going to help with officer wellness. Officer suicides are out of control. And once you unlock all of this data, there's just so many different problems we could solve. Definitely agree. So you mentioned that we partnered with the FBI's National Academy to generate a lot of our models around professionalism. What would you say it was that drew us to the FBI NA? Domain expertise, you know, credibility. We really needed to understand that we're not police and, and we needed to go and talk to the most highest quality source of police in the country, in my opinion. I think the FBI National Academy is the top 1% of policing. And so it's super important to go and partner with them and explain to them what we're doing and get the reaction. And as you know, they're super supportive and really understand like, what does it mean to be professional? What type of language would you expect from an officer and why? And so they've just been incredibly invaluable to us because they you know, have showed us that professionalism can be deconstructed. And that's how we built Signal, right? That's how we found Signal. That's how we built models and found Signal. Once you construct professionalism models, you can then take a look at the outcomes and say, are these features driving better outcomes? And in the data, the answer is yes. And so back to my days trading and building trading models, there's nothing more exciting than looking through a bunch of unstructured data and figuring out that you've got a signal that can generate alpha. And for us, it was finding signal and data that being professional can impact outcome. And that was super exciting. Hey, just let me, let me ask you a question. Looking at, I talked a little bit about our commercial roadmap for 2023. What are you excited about with regard to the product roadmap? 
For me, a lot of it is around taking what we've built so far for natural language processing and really extending it further with some of the trends we're seeing in the industry as large. So to give you some background on what we do currently, you know, Trulio's body camera analysis basically takes body camera audio. We analyze only the audio portion of the track because that's really a way that we can achieve very unbiased analysis. And it's a whole other topic for a different day, but by analyzing audio and converting it into text, we can really normalize the data and have an unbiased analysis of what's unprofessional and professional language. And so on top of that text, we run our natural language processing models. And those natural language processing models are basically identifying events within the language. This could be like a use of force, looking at language that indicates that a taser is being deployed or that somebody has hands on a civilian. We also look for unprofessional and professional behavior. So we're looking at all these language cues and then basically presenting that data to a sergeant to show them what happened in a video. Many people have probably seen some of the recent advances in generative language models, generative AI, chat GPT being one of them, where now some of these AI models can actually not only interpret language, but really generate quite coherent language on its own. And so you can imagine taking Trulio a step further would be taking some of the data that we surface and actually generating suggestions for sergeant or generating suggestions directly for a patrol officer. So as an officer is reviewing the video, we not only identify that there was an instance of, you know, unprofessional language, or maybe just an instance where an officer didn't use explanation, but could have, we can actually suggest an example of explanation that he could have used based on all of the other examples of explanation from his peers. This is just crazy. And it's mind blowing to just like the reaction of our current customers and future customers. Really what we're doing is providing help to the sergeant to do patrol officer coaching. We're using generative AI to guide the patrol officer to say, hey, look, you had three non-compliance events this past month. We noticed that your giving explanation is low. Maybe your commands to explanation ratios is not great. And we would suggest giving explanations. Here are some example videos of how that's done. This is really blowing the minds of customers. I hear them call us sort of a virtual sergeant. And it's really exciting because I think we can step in and fill the role for that sergeant who's often overworked and doesn't have time to, to give a lot of coaching to 10 or 12 people. And in some instances, they're a super young sergeant. They might've been a patrol officer the year or two before, and they're just not comfortable in a coaching role yet. And so I think this is really powerful. I'm really excited about it because as you know, a department is only as good as its sergeants. Totally. One of the other aspects that we often get questions about is you know, building trust with your users. A big problem for generative AI and these types of models is how can a user really trust what the AI is saying? With ChatGPT, you know, people have been experimenting with it and certainly there are a lot of areas where people are impressed. You can give it simple math problems and it will sometimes fail. The way we view building trust is really by using that officer's peers and how they're using highly professional language as the basis for what we suggest. And so it's less about, you know, here's an AI that just made up a suggestion for you about, you know, how you should do your job and more about, you know, this AI has really crowdsourced uh, the best solutions. Here's the best examples of explanation that lead to the least amount of noncompliance. We've curated that and generated an example. Yeah, it's awesome. Hey, Teja, sometimes in venture capital meetings, I'll get asked about, you know, what does our patent portfolio look like or what's our patent strategy going forward? And I tend to be super skeptical of patents. 
simply because I've just met a lot of founders over the years that convince themselves that, you know, they have this super secret technology and it's this, this shield they're going to use to protect themselves. And uh, really like the best way to think about patents is to think about, you know, you're crossing a bridge and there's no other bridges for hundreds of miles and you want to cross that bridge and then you want to blow up the bridge behind you. That's the best patent. You need to make sure that whoever comes after you can't simply code around the patent that you just created, which is what I think 99% of patents, that's what happens. Your competitor just sort of simply codes around it to the best that they can. And so with that in mind, we have a patent portfolio. I'm wondering if you just tell our audience a little bit about how do you think about our portfolio? What are you excited about what's in there? And what do you think might go in there in the future? Yeah, to your point, I totally agree about your stance on patents. Oftentimes, what happens with patents is that you want the patent to cover as broad of a claim as you possibly can. And as you go through the diligence process, that claim becomes longer and longer. And when it becomes longer, that's a bad thing because the longer the claim is, the more clauses it has in it and the more restrictive it is. So if you had a claim on a, you know, a new type of computer, you know, suddenly that computer is a computer of a certain size. It's a computer of a certain color. It's a computer that only has these functions and it becomes more and more limiting and it becomes a lot easier for somebody to code around just one of those restrictions. With Trulio, sort of got a clean slate on, on our patent portfolio from our green key days. And we, we got to think about what are the key advances that we're bringing to the market. And the number one advance was really just around the whole concept of body cam analytics. Analyzing body camera audio was you know, not really a, a field or, or an industry before Trulio came on the scene. And so we spent a lot of time and attention on filing patents specifically around body camera analytics itself. And so our broadest claims are around using any sort of AI or NLP models to analyze body-worn camera audio. And that's a pretty broad claim. And alongside that claim, you know, then we have all of the aspects of how you can do that, how you can surface events, how you can surface professional and unprofessional language, how you can use that type of analysis to identify risk, to identify areas where there might be an issue with officer wellness. Uh, so there's all of these derivative applications, but they all come from that central claim around body camera analytics itself. And so because we were first to market, because we are industry leaders in body camera analytics, that gave us that sort of claim to be able to have broad applicability. Uh, the other aspect that is part of our patent portfolio is a bridge that you know we've crossed that is something that's a problem for, for many audio analytics applications. And that's a process called speaker diarization, it's actually the process of figuring out who said what. When you transcribe an audio file into text, you get a transcript with words. And as humans, we often don't think of just words, we think of person saying those words. And so attributing the speaker of you know, who said what is actually a separate process for machines than it is for humans. We anticipate continuing to add to that patent portfolio. A lot of the applications that we're looking at adding are really how to take that technology a step further and use the analysis to do real-time interactions. That could be real-time coaching, that could be real-time dispatching, that ability to analyze the data in real time, understand what's happening and be able to suggest something. Uh, to do all of that in a real-time setting you know, opens up a lot of applications for an officer on the scene. The speed of innovation is everything. You know, like it's good. I'm really lucky to have you, Tejas, because you're focused on, you know, where a patent might be because you're so aware of the contours of the land of NLP and audio analytics. Whereas I'm really focused on the speed of innovation. 
And I think it's important to have that mindset of like, you know, look, if we stumble across this unique contour of land or this bridge we can blow up, great. But if we don't, we need to just move fast through this landscape so that our competitors can't touch us or catch us. That speed of innovation is everything. One thing I wanted to touch upon that's related to our IP is the proprietary data sets that we've built using human reinforcement, right? We have labeling teams, we have humans, a lot of them are former cops that are listening to or reading segments of interactions and then labeling that data for us from publicly available data. And I just want to get a sense from you, how much proprietary data do we have? How many videos, hours, segments? Give me an estimate of how big you think this proprietary data set is today and how big it might be in a year from now. There's multiple aspects of that data set because we have multiple models. So we have a model that converts audio to text. That's the speech recognition model that's trained on you know, thousands of hours of commonly used corpora. These are the same types of data that other companies use. They're publicly available data sets. But then there's a data set of body camera videos specifically that is in the hundreds of hours that we've assembled. We've had multiple annotators clean up. And that's really what allows our speech-to-text model to be the most accurate body-worn camera speech recognition model out there. After that process, there's our NLP models. And those natural language processing models are the ones that identify events, that identify professional and unprofessional language. And there you're looking at, I think we're at close to a million annotations. And those annotations you know, are, are super valuable because they've sort of stood the test of time. There's high annotator agreement you know, between them. Multiple annotators are going through and all agreeing that this language sounds like a use of force or this language sounds like non-compliance. And those data sets are, are hugely valuable because they're, they're just absent from uh, what you can find out there publicly. And because what we're doing is so different from you know, some other industries in terms of you know, types of NLP, you could start a company that's focused on uh, sentiment analysis, and maybe you could use a sentiment analysis data set on Twitter data that you know, might start you out and find you, you know, positive and negative language. But those data sets fall apart when you're trying to do something like understand, you know, was a civilian complying or not, or was there a use of force or not? These very domain-specific aspects of interaction. Give me a sense of like, what would you consider that Trulio was a big win? We did it. We're proud of our work. We tell our family, our kids about our work. Yeah. In terms of, you know, there's a lot of different ways to think about it. In terms of financial success, you know, whenever you're building a company like Trulio, a, a SaaS-based company, you know, you want a pathway towards being worth you know, several hundred million dollars, if not a billion dollars. You know, that's just the common checkbox that investors want to see. And certainly Trilio has the potential to get there. The market is large enough that there's plenty of meat on the bone for us to build you know, a billion dollar company, not only in the body cam analytics space, but expanding ourselves into 911 analytics, into other domains where there's recorded data and a problem with measuring professionalism. And so you could think of exits in terms of financial success, and certainly, you know, that that is one way to think about them. You know, I think for for me and, and looking at an exit, you know, I think that the right time to exit is really when you've sort of made a large impact, you know, on that industry. And that would be in terms of, you know, number of customers. We have hundreds of departments using Trulio. The reason I say that is because after an exit, you have less control of your destiny. Uh, you know, you need an exit for investors and you know for for shareholders but an exit changes a lot in terms of 
where the technology will go. And I think the more penetration you're able to get, the more success you're able to measure, the more confidence you have that after that exit, you know, what you've built and what you brought to the world will really continue. And so for us, I think that's, you know, at the level of, you know, several hundred departments using Trulio, uh, you know, we're generating, you know, tens of millions of dollars in revenue. Uh, and I, you know, there might be an opportunity for us to exit before then, but I probably wouldn't take that opportunity because I don't think we would have grown the company well enough with full decision-making power and full control of our destiny. And, you know, exiting too early, you know, in a, in a business like this could mean the, the death of the business. And so I think for us to really see the mission complete and successful, you know, we're, we're in it until we build a large and, and successful business and one that not only represents its worth, obviously in, in valuation and multiple on revenue, but also in terms of the penetration we have, you know, within the police departments and, you know, the case studies and, and the track record that we've actually made changes in policing. Building and working towards a successful exit process is very similar. It's a process and it starts today. It starts when you found your company. You need to be working towards an exit process. You want to have options for when that day comes. You need to be building relationships with potential acquirers. And you really want to create a competitive process. You want to make sure that whatever business or value you create or build, you've got multiple people that will fight over that business at some point. And in terms of like, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, Trulio, what's the number where you guys want to get to? When will you exit? The way that I think about it is like, it's like this, you know, I, I don't know how many great ideas Tejas we're going to have or how many other opportunities we're going to have that look like Trulio. It looks like and feels like this might be a once in a lifetime opportunity. I mean, the problem is massive. The data is all in the cloud. We happen to be two people on a very small list that can solve this problem. We're moving very, very fast through this landscape. And so I think about exiting in terms of like minimizing regret as I get older and being super proud of Trulio, having wanting my kids and my family to be proud of Trulio, my, my grandkids. And so, you know, I think the, all we can control is the quality of product and the quality of service we put out each and every day. And I think we're both on the same page that, you know, we just keep our heads down and, and control what we can control and the rest of it's going to work itself out. Thank you so much for listening to Coffee with the Chief. This podcast is hosted by Anthony Tassoni and Tejas Shastri, co-founders of Trulio. To learn more about Trulio's mission to improve trust in the police with body camera analytics, visit trulio.co. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at trulio underscore police. You can also find us on LinkedIn and YouTube at Trulio and on Facebook at Trulio Co. Don't forget to subscribe to get notified about new episodes of Coffee with the Chief. We'll see you next time.